Alright, brothers and sisters, if you would turn in your copy of Scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're looking at the latter half of chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. Uh, actually, yeah, 10 through 23, sorry, 10 through 23. It's on page 953 in your pew Bible. 953, and so we're ending our time in the season of Epiphany, and we've spent several weeks in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3, and I've been at pains during the season of Epiphany. See, Epiphany celebrates the fact that Jesus was revealed to Jews and Gentiles, that He's the Savior of both Jews and Gentiles. Not only is Jesus the Savior of Jews and Gentiles, but Jesus is also the King of Jews and Gentiles. Not only is the king of Jews and Gentiles, but he is also the same king who gives his spirit freely to Jews and Gentiles. So there is no discrimination between Jews and Gentiles anymore, but that dividing wall has been broken down. And so the spirit of God is poured out on the Jews and on the Gentiles. And so we've seen that throughout Epiphany, and a lot of times we can look at the, the story of Cornelius that we saw in Acts chapter 10. We can look at the story of Pentecost. And we can say, wow, that's, that's what we want in our day. We want that kind of power. And, and I believe that that's a good thing to long for. I pray for revival. And each Sunday we pray for God to bring revival in our own hearts as a church, in our city, and in our country, and in our world. We, we need God and His Spirit to bring that kind of revival. And so we pray for that. And yet at the same time, you see this story about Cornelius, this awesome Story about the Spirit of God falling upon him and his whole household and them them being filled with the Spirit and testifying the goodness of God. And then we just turn a few pages later and we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And and this is a church that has been given the Spirit of God as well. And yet you see that although they've been given the Spirit of God, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of divisions in that church. Does that mean that the Spirit of God is not present in that church? No. No. No, what we've seen is that like kindergartners that we saw last week, that they were not being led by the spirit of God. They were they were still drinking elementary principled milk instead of the solid meat of greater teaching. And so Paul is coming to them and saying, the problem that you all have is not that you don't have the spirit. The problem is that you're not walking in the spirit. You're not living your lives in submission to the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It has that kind of power. You're not living in accord with that power. That's why there's divisions among you. You all are thinking like the world. You think that it's more important who you follow, whether you follow Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. And Paul says, don't get caught up in all of these fancy divisions that the world relishes. I thought Matt did a great job last week of, of showing how that's just part of our culture. There's a, there's a Facebook group for that, right? That's what, that's what he reminded us of. And I think that the Lord would remind us, too, that we can be presumptuous. And we can think that, man, how could those Corinthians do that? I mean, they had the Apostle Paul in their midst for a year and a half. Can you imagine if Paul just hung out with us for a year and a half? I think you and I would be like, yeah, I think we'd be pretty good. I think our church would be pretty strong. Well, they did. (laughs) They did. And not that much longer afterwards, they were fighting each other over who really was an apostle and who wasn't. So how is it that a church that had the apostle Paul, how is it that that division could just just be so prevalent in their midst? Well, (laughs) 
they were unable, they were unwilling to keep in step with the Spirit, to to listen to the Spirit of God, to submit themselves to the Spirit of God. And these are the very same things you and I are at risk of doing. See, a lot of times we can think, well, if I just get more Bible, then I'm going to be good. I promise you that's not the answer to your problems. I promise you that's not the answer to the divisions in our church today. The, the, The answer, as we'll see, is to be led by the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit of God. See, in our passage last week, uh, we were reminded that God gives the growth. And so Apollos and Cephas and Peter and Paul, all these are just workers. They water, they sow, but God gives the growth. And so what we see in, in our passage here is that this is a continuation of what Paul is talking about, this giving of the growth. Because it is true that God gives the growth, but what he's saying here is that you and I, you and I, need to be involved in some way in that growth. We don't just sit there and say, feed me, water me, and God will grow me. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. You are the building of God. You are the building of God. So set about building in a way that's worthy of the Lord. See, you and I are to be engaged in that work. It doesn't just happen. So we can't just be passive and say, God will give the growth, therefore I'm just going to sit here and listen to more sermons. No, no. Paul is at pains to explain to you and to me that listen to the sermon, get watered, get fed, get sunshine, but there needs to be some kind of growth in your life. And, and so he changes the metaphor just a little bit to get at this that much more. See, Paul in this passage in verses 10 through 23 gives us two admonitions. He gives us two admonitions so that we are not a divided church. This is the remedy that he's given. And I'm extremely sensitive. I was praying uh, this uh, during our prayer time before the service. I'm really sensitive to the fact that what the Corinthians experienced by way of division is only one conversation away in our church. It's only one bad day away. It's only one bad assumption that you have of someone else. It's just one. And then that seed of dissension can grow and you can split a church and you can think that you are right and they're wrong. So we cannot think, church, that we are that we are free from this, that we are immune to this kind of division. And so I want us to hear these words and let it sink into us that, Lord, please let this never happen in our church. So how does that happen? How are we called by Paul to not let division happen in our lives? Like we're t- we've talked about how to how to walk in the spirit. This very big concept. And so we're going to go down a little on the ground level here and get at it. So our my prayer, my prayer today, this morning is that we not only hear these admonitions, not only that we write them down, but that these characterize the fellowship of our church. And we characterize the fellowship of the church every week when we gather. And so our first admonition that we see from Paul is be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Or you could say it another way. Be full of care how you build. (laughs) Pay attention to how you build. So we see that in verses 10 through 15. So let's just read that. Verses 10 through 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as I've already mentioned, Paul changes the metaphor. He said that you are the field of God, but then in verse 9 he says, you are God's building. And so then he's he's developing that imagery and saying, I, like a master builder, laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And so he teaches us how ought we to build. And he says, be careful. Right. He's talking here primarily. And you need to hear this. He's speaking primarily of other leaders in the church. Other ministers who would build on the foundation. But by extension, he's, he's speaking about Christians in, in general, too. See, Paul is specifically warning leaders in the church to be careful with what materials they build with. He makes it clear in verses 10 through 11 that he laid the foundation. You see that, that he laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. See, he's not there anymore, right? He's probably in the town of Ephesus. And he's writing a letter to Corinth and he's saying, now I'm gone. I lay the foundation of Jesus Christ, but someone else is building upon it. Be careful how you build. Let each one take care how he builds. So he says there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Remember in chapter two, what did he say? He said, I, I only wanted to know one thing. That's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like you all are getting all in a tizzy about all these leaders, all of these eloquent rhetoricians. And that root is the foolishness of the gospel. The foolishness of the gospel to the world. See, the only foundation that you and I are to have is that one beautiful, great, glorious truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then we need to be careful how we build in accord with that. Are what we're building with, are the materials that we're using in accord with the foundation that we're using? That's the question. And, and you know, throughout these first three chapters, and we saw it particularly in chapter one, is this imagery of the fool and the wise man. And I think that Paul, this is just conjecture, but I think in the back of Paul's mind, he has the Sermon on the Mount that we've been listening to in the back of his mind. Because you've got this, the fool and the wise man, and then he talks about a building. And you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. After he's done teaching all of the people, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the foundation. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, on the foundation, which are Jesus's words, his teaching. And so he says the fool is the one who didn't build their life on that foundation. And when the storms came, it was destroyed. 
To have that fixed in your mind because we're going to revisit that in our second admonition that we see. See, anybody in this room can put up a building. You know, you can, you know, maybe when you were a kid, you would get a cardboard box and you would just erect that box and you draw pictures on it and stuff like that. Any one of us can build a building. Any one of us can build something. Paul is saying, be careful with what you use. There's a tendency in the church today in the West to build with whatever material gets the most effect for the least amount of investment. Let me say that again. There is a tendency in the church in the United States and even here in our city of building a church with whatever material works. (laughs) If I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody say, hey, man, it must be of God because look at the fruit. Look at all the people that are coming. It must be of God. No, let me. Let me just say that that probably, and it is, an evidence of biblical illiteracy. Because the story of the Bible is is that the crowds followed Jesus. The people of God that we see throughout the Old Testament, that we see throughout even our passage, is that the people of God, even though they are God's people, don't like to hear what God has to say a lot of times. They like to look around and see, oh, is, is that the cool new church that I should go to? Maybe, yeah, I'm going to, because look, God's doing some awesome stuff. And it, I'm saying it, it could be, yeah, maybe, maybe. But don't de facto think that just because a bunch of people are going somewhere that God is in the midst of her. <laughs> right? A quick survey will show us that that's just not the case. See, <laughs> when, when Jesus spoke, The religious people, what did they do? They threw stones at him. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. When Jeremiah spoke that we saw this past summer, what did they do? They wanted to to kill him. See, Paul's aware of this tendency, and he knows that you and I, whether we like to admit it or not, want to be cool. Want to be vindicated. Want to be shown that we are part of the in crowd. We didn't get that much far away from from middle school and high school, did we, adults? (laughs) We, we want to be loved and accepted and know that, oh, I'm not a weirdo because look at all these thousands of people that are part of the church. You no. Know? See, the problem is, is you need to drill down a little deeper. Look at the foundation, but then look at the first story, second story, third story of what are they building that church on? What materials are they using? See, he knows that we're willing to build with whatever material we can get our hands on, with whatever works. See, there's been a lot of fanciful interpretations as to what these this gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw is. And I just think at root, at root, the difference between these materials is just simply a matter of the, the wood, hay, and straw doesn't take a whole lot of effort to procure. You'd be walking along the road, picking up a piece of wood, picking up some hay, some straw, and then just piling it up. And you and I could do just that, couldn't we? We could just walk around and see a bunch of trash and start building it. And we could look and say, look at that building. That's what Paul is saying. Be careful that you just don't hear something and say, oh, that works. Therefore, I'm going to incorporate that in my building, into my own faith. Don't don't fool yourself into thinking that mere accumulation equals goodness, equals righteousness, equals justice that we heard about in Leviticus just a moment ago. See, at the end of the day, what you'll have is just a big pile of stubble, a big thing ready to be burned up. 
That's what Paul says it's good for. It's not good for living in. It's not good for building your life on. It's not good for protection when the storms of life come. It's good for burning up. So be careful how you build. And we can do this today, can't we? I've alluded to it, but let me kind of just press a little harder on us so that we don't think that we are uh, safe from that. See, we can a lot of times build with our preferences. We can build with a certain kind of music. (laughs) You drive down the street and you see, oh, there's the contemporary uh, music service, and then an hour later there's the traditional service, and then an hour later there's the modern contemporary service, and then after that, you know... Really? Is that what we want to do? Is that, do we want to build a church on preferences? Do we want to build our lives on a certain kind of preacher? A place where everyone has chosen the same schooling option. Or votes a certain way. And when we find out that somebody across the aisle, quite literally, voted on the other aisle, then we get a little uneasy. See, you and I could build a church numerically really, really quickly. Happens all the time. Get some slick marketing together. Get some really awesome things that people love. And just kind of keep feeding goods and wares and services to people. And people will come. And a church will be built. But what kind of materials are you using? Right? What, well, there's, there's a saying... That what you win them with, you have to keep them with. You, what, what you attract people with, you have to kind of keep amping it up. So that one day you're driving a Harley Davidson down the aisle of a church. To get people just to be really excited about church. See, that's not what we want to be about. And I'm, I'm convinced that because the church in America has, has, has built itself upon preferences... The Spirit of God doesn't want to dwell there. The Spirit of God in so many churches isn't there because they haven't built with the very materials that a temple would be worthy of building upon. They built on all of these preferences and they haven't said, you know what, I want to build my life on Scripture, on Jesus' words, on that foundation. Then the Spirit of God will be there. I mean, you guys know it's true, right? You go to... Many churches and there's no spirit present. It's dead. It's dead. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy for this kind of building if you've built with wood, hay, and straw? We need to remind ourselves quite simply that the foundation of the church and by extension the foundation of each one of our lives should be Jesus. That's not rocket science. It's not rocket science, but that's what Paul is saying are the elementary principles that you and I can forget. A lot of times we think that, the oh, I've been there, done that. I was saved when I was 15 years old. I already know all that stuff, Matt. Well, Paul's saying you may know that stuff, but what are you doing about it? How is that truth of being saved by grace through faith alone, how is that changing your life the way you talk to your husband or your wife? How is that changing the way you parent? How is that changing the way you look at your work? Paul's saying be careful because you're not building on the foundation. You started there. You started well, Corinthians. You started there, Christ the Redeemer Church. You started well. But then as you've gone along, you thought, oh, I'm going to leave the ABCs behind. 
and I'm going to go on the EFG route. He says, no, 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 no. You never leave ABC behind. You never leave those elementary principles behind. Could you imagine trying to do calculus if you didn't know that one plus two is three? You don't do that. And so in the same way, the gospel is the very foundation. The the salvation that we have in Jesus is the very foundation of our lives. And that's how we build our lives. So, So let me say this. Gold, silver, and precious stones, contrary to wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones are something that you and I have to work for. You have to dig for gold, silver, and precious stones. You have to exert some effort. You have to plan. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to dig a hole and hopefully I'll hit gold. No, you, you're you trying to do surveys of geography. I mean, you, there's a difference in quality because there's a difference in emphasis. There's a difference in planning. There's a difference of intention for how you build. There's a difference of perspective, right? The building that we are called to do is not about getting quick results. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it until I die, but the goal of our church is not to sheerly and merely see a bunch of people come here. Our goal as a church is not simply to grow numerically. Now, that's good, and that's a good thing. Like If we only see this many people in five years, then we're probably not being faithful to the gospel. But that's not our goal. Our goal is not merely to see more people come. We want to see that. We want to see people converted to Jesus, but that, but, but, but just getting numbers, that's not the goal. See, the, the key was that I, I just said in the previous sentence, the key is that we see people converted to Jesus. People become disciples of Jesus, and that's the harder work, isn't it? Getting a whole bunch of people in the door is not hard work. Getting people to follow Jesus as disciples is the hard work. That is the difficult piece that you and I struggle with, isn't it? Gold, silver, precious stones. As a church, we want to be about the harder work of making disciples of Jesus. That is our call. That's what Jesus said. He didn't just say, go into the world and get a whole bunch of people to listen to you. Jesus knew what was in the hearts of men and women. And he didn't entrust himself to them. He looked around the crowds and he had compassion on them and he loved them. But he knew that... He was about making disciples. He was about those who would follow him. And when, when push came to shove, when difficulties came, that they would be willing to say, I've built my life on Jesus. Storm and wind will come, but I will not be shaken because I am trusting in him. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted disciples. He wanted people to, to do what they said they would do. Not just to come to a service. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, not simply agrees with them, but does them. So the question you may be asking yourself, what is this saved at the very end in verse 15? What is this saved but only as through fire? I think in the context, because we see here the day will disclose that it's capital D in your pew Bibles. It's talking about at, at the at the uh, time of when Jesus returns, right? So there's this is what's called an eschatological dimension. There's this this last day when Jesus will return. So that that's one thing. But secondly, I think prior to that, and what in this context of what Paul's talking about, 
and I could be wrong on this, so you know, just kind of write it in pencil. Don't write it in ink yet. But I think that what Paul is getting at is that there will be difficulties that every single church has. So that when there's a little bit of, little bit of gossip going on, maybe somebody over here from the outside of that church challenging doctrinal things and heresies coming in and bubbling up from within, what will happen to that church that's not built on the foundation of Jesus, that's not built with gold, silver, and precious stones, that hasn't been built with things that matter? Well, I think that Paul has in mind here is that when that happens, when difficulties and trials inevitably come to a church, that 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 church is purified. And the church that is not built on the foundation of Jesus, that is built with wood, hay, and straw, or whatever works, that church will go up in smoke like a matchbox. That's what I think this context is telling us, is that Christ the Redeemer, we're going to have difficulty. And if we don't, then we're not doing something in accord with what Jesus has called us to do. We ought to have difficulty. Don't be surprised, Jesus said, when trials come. When you're persecuted for righteousness sake. So the question is, when that comes and when it does come, as it will, Lord willing, will our church be purified because we've built ourselves, our individual discipleship on Jesus We've built our church on the truth of God's word. Will we be purified as a church or will we be burned up and will we cease to exist? That's why so many churches are closing, my friends, because they built their life on things that don't matter. They built their lives on on some kind of way to to do church that is not built on the foundation of Jesus. They picked preferences. They picked things like wood, hay and stubble. So when Paul tells us to be careful how we build, he doesn't simply have in mind knowing more stuff. He looks at you and he looks at me and he points his finger and he says, what are you doing with what you know? What are you doing right now with what you know to be true? Are you just filing it in in a file in the back of your mind? Like, oh yeah, I remember a sermon on that one day. Oh yeah, I, I know 1 Corinthians 3 and... Okay, let's go on to 1 Corinthians 4. He says, no, 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 come back to 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. (laughs) Be reminded that there is one thing that you and I should know. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So be, be careful how you build. And so the second admonition, because really the question is, is the forgetfulness that you and I have, the lack of carefulness originates from not heeding who we are. And that's our second admonition is be mindful who you are. Be mindful who you are. Let's look at verses 16 through 20. 16 through 23. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. 
And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Be mindful, church, who you are. You're not just a a rotary club. You're not just a gathering of people that are like, yep, I want to do life that way. No, you're not just that. You are so much more than that. So let me say this. Most of our greatest struggles in life originate from not paying attention to who we are. Let me say that again. Most of our greatest struggles in our lives originate from not paying heed, not remembering, not being mindful of who we are. Kind of like the, the lion who grew up in the sheep fold, right? Was that uh, Leo the lion? Lambert, Lambert, the sheepish lion. You remember that story? Maybe you should go look on YouTube at it. But this, this lion that grew up in the sheepfold, and then one day he realizes, no, I'm a lion. And, and in so many ways, God would tell you this morning, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who your daddy is. Don't forget that you have been called, you've been redeemed by the creator of all the universe, all that has breath. He's the one who you call Abba, Father. Don't forget that. Be mindful of who you are, Paul says. See, Paul starts out this paragraph by simply asking this question. Do you not know? Do you not know? And and what he's doing is he's using irony. Because throughout 1 Corinthians, we've seen that there's been a lot of arguing, a lot of division happening because of what people knew or what people didn't know. There was this love for wisdom, this love for teaching. And and Paul says, don't you know? Like, y'all are supposed to be really smart and you don't know this? You don't know that you are God's temple? And he says this, Again, he says, he's saying, you don't really know, do you? You aren't acting in accord with what you know. You don't actually know the elementary truths that you claim to know. See, Paul asked this question ten times in this letter. Just in this letter alone, he asked it ten times. He only uses it one other time in Romans. And he uses it to to just convey how flabbergasted he is. He's just incredulous to the fact that this is elementary Do you not know that you are God's temple? This is something foundational to what it means to be a Christian. That you are the temple of God indwelt by the Spirit of God. And Because he visits it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says, do you not know that your body, speaking to the individual Christian, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, that really is the key to understanding the issue at heart in Corinth. This forgetfulness of who they are. There were divisions. There was boasting. There were people gathering around their particular brand of church or speaker or doctrine. And they needed to be reminded who they were. Quite simply. Have you meditated on who you are in Christ Jesus? Don't just move on from that. Visit that every morning, every evening, who you are, and that will affect what you do, how you build. See, he warns them in verse 18, if you look there, to not be deceived. Right? He says, let no one deceive himself. 
He uses the same phrase in his next letter to the Corinthians, and this kind of gets at this idea of what it means to be deceived. He says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is not simply forgetfulness. This is a forgetfulness that then leads to a replacing of a foundation, to a changing and exchanging of one foundation for another to say, you know what, just like in the garden where Adam says, no, God didn't really say that, did he? Did Eve, did God say that? So exchanging what God actually said for what they thought was right. And so Paul is using that same terminology. Don't be deceived like Eve was. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that what you feel is right, therefore it trumps Scripture. He says, no, what God says, build your life upon. Don't let your feelings, don't let your your way of interpreting the world determine what's true. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're fine because you know all these things to be true. See, you remember, remember how they were saying in chapter 1 that I'm a, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas. They were basically saying, hey, this is my camp, these are my peeps. And that's, that's who I align myself with. See, they needed to be reminded also of whose they were, who they belonged to. And so Paul is at pains in verses 21 and 23, if you'd look there. So let no one boast in men, Apollos, Cephas, Paul, Peter. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. <laughs> and what are these things that are yours? Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's. You are of Christ, and Christ is God's. That's who you are, and that's who you belong to. So instead of saying, I am of Apollos, you say, I am of Christ. Apollos belongs to Christ. Therefore, in Christ, Apollos belongs to me. All these are servants for my good. For my benefit. That's what Paul is at pains to say. Don't forget who you belong to. You don't belong to Apollos. You don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to any fancy preacher. Any fancy understanding of how to understand last days. (laughs) I'll get into that in a moment. But our divisions as a church, our inability to experience all that God has for us, will be the result of not knowing who we are. Not remembering that we are God's temple church. When we get preoccupied with what makes us different, rather than who we belong to and the vision of cosmic renewal that God has called us to be a part of, when we forget that, then we get in a tizzy when somebody doesn't say hi to us when they walk down the hall. We get frustrated because we can't believe that that person interprets that passage that way. We get frustrated because I can't believe they send their kids to that school. I can't believe fill in the blank. When you and I focus on those differences, then Jesus doesn't matter to us. We have to have in the forefront of our minds, as a church, that God has called us to be about building something beautiful. See, we could have people gathering around any number of doctrinal interpretations. But what we need to be at pains with is to be so enraptured with the fact that God has saved you. You. 
a sinner, a rebel. And he said, you are my friend. No, you are my child. And when, when, that, when that sweeps us up and we don't start to pay attention to all the things that make us different, when Jesus is going to come back, how he's going to come back, in what way he's going to come back, we can argue about how Jesus is going to come back and we can argue about how old the earth is. We can argue about any number of doctrinal differences. And if we're not careful, that's going to rip our church apart. So hear me now and hear me clearly that we have to be vigilant to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. I wrote in my manuscript here, we need to be too busy for the drama. Have you ever been around somebody who's got drama all up in their life? And you're like, you know what? I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. And God's saying, I want you to not have time for all of that drama. I want you to say, you know what? Thanks for that. I'm, I'm going this way. Oh, I, I hear you. I'm still moving. I'm still moving this way. I'm moving closer to knowing Jesus, him and him crucified and the power of his resurrection. That's what we need to be so enamored with, overwhelmed by. That God loves you. He's called you his child. And therefore all of this drama doesn't matter. Have you ever had a goal in mind? And there would be nothing that would shake you from that goal? Man, I am going to cut out all carbs out of my life. (laughs) Man, I'm going to drop a pound and a half. (laughs) Whatever it is. You've got a goal in your mind and nothing is going to shake you from that. God is saying, have one goal, one thing in your mind, so much so that all this other stuff is frivolous and doesn't matter. But Jesus Christ and him crucified, let that be your one thing. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in foolish controversies that don't benefit their hearers, as Paul says somewhere else. As one commentator wrote, he said this. The Corinthians, in their divisions, are satisfied with so little when God offers them so much more. Ironically, the Corinthians failed to see all that God had for them in Christ. They were already reigning with Christ in the sense that everything in life was for their benefit already. Whether life or death, the future, the present, all these things are yours in Christ. Friend, you're not called just to get by in life. You're not called to just hang on by the skin of your teeth, by your hand. You're not called just to get by. And so, so much of, of Satan's lies are just saying, just get by. That's If you can just get through today. There are days that are like that. I promise you that. Yes, there are. But did we not hear from Psalm 71 that the Lord bears us up from youth to old age and he will not forsake his loved ones? And friend, he will not forsake you. You're not called to hang your head in defeat. You're to be reminded that in Christ all things are yours. Everything for your benefit because God loves you so much that he's he's pulling all of these resources together and saying, what what else do you need? What, What can I do to help you in your journey towards glory? Don't forget what Jesus said in that same Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the entire earth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that our sights oftentimes are set on what works. Our sights are often set 
on the temporal effect that they have in our lives. And as we go through difficulties that inevitably can and should come to purify us, that we oftentimes think that you have forsaken us when in fact you are nearer then than at any other time. And so, Father, we pray that you would remind us yet again that we are called to be careful how we build and to be mindful of who we are. That you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. And so, Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift and the, and the calling that you have placed on each one of our lives as your children to be your representatives on earth and to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.